Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Then Jesus shouted in a loud voice, It is finished! And it was. He had done it. Jesus had rescued the whole world. Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. With a great sigh, he let himself die. Strange clouds and shadows filled the sky, purple, orange, black, like a bruise. Jesus' friends gently carried Jesus. They laid Jesus in a new tomb carved out of rock. How could Jesus die? What had gone wrong? What did it mean? They didn't know anything anymore, except they didn't know their hearts were breaking. That's the end of Jesus, the leader said. But just to be sure, they sent strong soldiers to guard the tomb. They hauled a huge stone in front of the door to the tomb so that no one could get in or out. Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer? The king God had promised? It wasn't supposed to end like this. Yes, but whoever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise on the third day, God sent an earthquake and an angel from heaven. When the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away, sat on top of it, and waited. At the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and other women headed to the tomb to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees, drops of dew glittering on leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked quietly along the hilly path through the olive groves until they reached the tomb and immediately noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening into the dark tomb, but wait, Jesus' body was gone, and something else. A shining man was there, with clothes made from lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said, but they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked them, What are you doing here? This is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. The women couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore, he said. He's alive again. And their hearts leapt. And the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt, for a moment, as if they had woken from a nightmare. Well, hey, good morning and happy Easter. If we have not met before, my name is Drake Holderman and I get to serve as one of the youth pastors here at Christ Church. It is a joy that you would come and worship with us uh, here in Orinoco this morning. And if you do know me, I know what you're thinking. Man, why did we get stuck with Drake? We could have had Mark or Michael, but we got the boy who's trying to bring back the frosted tips. I would, uh, I would uh, you know, if, we, if you don't know me, I, have, I, I recognize I have bleached hair. Um, but... You should never make a bet you know you're probably going to lose. And I made a bet like that. Lost the bet. If you've seen Tyler Bate, he's another one of our student ministers. We look like twins today because he also has bleached hair. But I'm not ashamed. I'm kind of like embracing it. I like the Frosted Tips look. And I think I may keep it even after this, this bet is over. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm excited to jump in and, uh, and, and start preaching. <clears throat> when... Uh, when I was 12 years old, I got my first job. My, my grandpa, he needed some help uh, mowing and weed eating and doing other odd jobs around his rental properties. And unbeknownst to me, my mom and my dad, they sent in a resume and application on my behalf. Thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. And uh, luckily for them, I got the job. I didn't particularly enjoy the work that was required of me. 
But there were some things that I did enjoy about working with my grandpa. The first thing I enjoyed was that my grandpa, uh, he kept a fridge in his warehouse that was completely stocked full of Gatorade. And there was a plethora of orange Gatorade in that refrigerator, and I love orange Gatorade. It's all that I drank as a 12-year-old. Second thing that I liked about working with my grandpa is that almost every day we would go to Coney Island uh, for lunch. And if you've ever been to Coney Island, you know that it's just a heartache weight or heart heart attack waiting to happen, but it's so, so good. We take like a two-hour lunch break. If you've ever, ever worked with an older gentleman, then you know that they know how to take a good lunch break. Then we'd go back to grandma's house, and she'd whip me up a bowl of Neapolitan ice cream. I loved eating with my grandpa and my grandma. Third thing I enjoyed uh, about working with my grandpa is that whenever tenants would move out of my grandpa's rental properties, he would kind of collect some of the stuff that they left behind and sort it up in his warehouse. And uh, I would go through in my free time and just kind of look at what he had uh, acquired over the years. And a couple of the cool things that I found, some of my top prized possessions were an, an old wooden baseball bat, an old baseball glove that looked like it was from 1846, and uh, a, a sword just with rust all over it. I know it was rusty, but it was a sword nonetheless. And as a 12-year-old, I felt like I was a warrior. Uh, Mark and I, Mark Christian, our senior minister and I, were talking lately uh, about a, a man named William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst, he's deceased now, but when he was alive, he was a newspaper publisher, and he was an avid art collector in his free time. William Randolph Hearst, he had a team of people who would go out, and they would, and they would search for art that he wanted to have, and they would work to acquire that art for Mr. Hearst. Now, Mr. Hearst learned of, a, of an artifact one day, and he just had to have it. His heart became uh, captured with its beauty, and he, he, he desired nothing more than to have this piece of artwork. And so he talked to his people, and he said, I need you to go out, I need you to find this piece of art for me, and I need you to bring it back to me. Mr. Uh, Mark and I, we were like, what, what, what could have been so awesome that Mr. Hearst would have obsessed over this piece of artwork. And so Mark and I, we did our research, and we were like, man, what, what did Mr. Hearst want? What captured his desires? And ladies and gentlemen, I am proud to let you know that we have found the artwork that Mr. Hearst wanted so badly. Would you check it out? Here it is. Yes, there it is. George Costanza. Yeah. Well, um, that's not the artwork that he wanted. We just couldn't figure out what the artwork he actually wanted was. But he sent his team out. And days that went by, more days went by, and finally weeks began to go by, and there was no good news. His team hadn't found this piece of artwork that he so desperately wanted. And finally, after months and months and months of searching, one of the members of his team came to him and he said, Mr. Hurst, I have found the artwork that you so desire. Mr. Hurst was elated. He was so excited. He says, that's great news. That's great news. Where is it? How much is it going to cost me? And the member of his team said, Mr. Hurst, it's not going to cost you anything because you already own it. It's in your warehouse, uncrated, with all kinds of other priceless artifacts. Jesus follower, if you don't hear anything else today, then I need you to hear this. What you need is what you have. Story of the resurrection from Matthew chapter 28 reads like this. After Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Today, is Easter. Today, we celebrate the fact that the tomb is abandoned and our Jesus is 
alive. This is Easter. And you and I know that Easter is more than just about bunnies, chocolate, and marshmallow peeps. No, the resurrection of Jesus is the most catalytic event in human history. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. So a good question for you and I to ponder this morning is, what does the resurrection mean for me? That's my challenge to you. As I preach this morning, as we continue to worship this morning, as you go about your Easter Sunday, I want you to reflect on that question. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for me? And I want to give you three answers right out of the gate. And I'm going to show you where I'm getting those answers. But here they are. The resurrection of Jesus means that you and I can know God better. We can know the hope of our eternity. And we can know the power of the resurrection. Jesus follower, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. What you need is what you have. You have a resurrected Jesus. Hey, let's bow our heads in prayer, and then we're going to kick off this sermon on Easter Sunday. Father, we're grateful, but we're unworthy. We're grateful, Lord, that we would get to come celebrate. To celebrate Jesus' death and his resurrection, and to remember and to consider how we can play our part in this story of resurrection. We're grateful for your grace. We're grateful that you created us to do good works. Lord, we're grateful that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And so today, as we consider his resurrection, help us, Lord, to consider what it means for our lives and how we live. Pray this in the resurrected Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've studied the Bible, then you know that Scripture helps us understand Scripture. Bible scholars say Scripture interprets Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And the four Gospels tell us the story of Jesus, and they tell us that in his story, Jesus rose from the dead. And in general, the rest of the New Testament tells us what that means for Jesus' followers who follow this risen King. Today, Mark, Michael, and I were camping out in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 23. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And in this portion of this passage of Scripture, we're looking at a prayer that Paul prayed for the Christians there in Ephesus. He begins in verse 17. This is what he says. He says, I keep asking that the Lord of our Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In less than a month, I will have been married to my high school sweetheart, Andrea, for four years. Legend has it that in the 1932 World Series Game 3, Babe Ruth pointed to the center field stands and called his shot. Next pitch, he hit the ball right where he said he was going to hit it. My favorite part, if you know Mark Christian, my favorite part is that the, I didn't know this until I researched the story lately, that he called his shot against the Chicago Cubs. So take that, Mark, and all you Cubs fans out there. He called his shot against you guys. Uh, you could say that I called my shot with, with Andrea. Uh, you could actually say that I called my shot with Andrea twice. When I was in high school, I was on a mission trip. My best friend Taylor Hunt and I were talking, and one night I just told Taylor, I was like, man, I think I'm going to marry Andrea Loving someday. I wasn't even dating her at the time. I, uh, I then I had the audacity to approach Andrea's mom, who was one of the youth group leaders, and I said, Tanya, one day I'm going to marry your daughter. And once again, I wasn't even dating her yet. Moral of the story is that I was a weird kid in high school. Uh, Andrea and I, we, we were reflecting on my audacious claims, and she re- Andrea, she revealed to me a part of our, our relational history that I did not previously know. About the time I was calling my shots with Andrea, Andrea was calling her shot. She told her mom 
that she wanted to marry someone like Drake Holderman, but she didn't want to marry Drake Holderman. So I, um, I guess you win some, you lose some, but nevertheless, I hit my home run on May 9th, 2015. If you've been married, then you know, like I do, that you and your spouse are both different than on the day that you got married. Any amens right now? Anybody want to say amen? Not too loudly, though. Your spouse is near you, okay? Uh, you know that you're different than on the day you got married. For example, on May 9, 2015, I didn't like tomatoes, yard work, or Jimmy Fallon, but I love all of those things now. And on May 9, 2015, I had no idea what Andrea liked, and I still have no idea what Andrea likes. But, but we get to know each other better because we're married. And the resurrection of Jesus means that you and I, we can know God better. That's what it means. When I say what you need is what you have, what you need to know God better, you have to know God better. Because Jesus afforded you the opportunity, the access to God to know him better. When I was growing up, I grew up in Owasso, Oklahoma, which is just northeast of Tulsa. Same time I was living in Owasso, the king of country, Garth Brooks himself, also lived in Owasso. And I remember being a little boy, my dad taking me by the hand and introducing me to a guy who was wearing blue jeans and a ball cap. And at the time, I didn't know who Garth Brooks was, but as I grew up, I began to appreciate more and more his fame and my proximity to him. I went to school with his daughters. I've ridden four-wheelers on his land, and I got to baptize one of my high school teammates in his lake. Over the course of these events, Garth and I, we became friends, which just goes to show he does have friends in low places, all right? Um, Let's just be honest. I'm not, I'm not friends with Garth Brooks. Garth considers me a friend, but I don't consider him a friend. He's always trying to like, you know, hang out with me and stuff. It, I'm like, Garth, just chill, bro. Um, but don't we sometimes do that? Man, sometimes we act like a few casual encounters equals friendship. But we all know that it doesn't. Just because you bump into somebody doesn't mean that you really know them, that you have a friendship with them, that you have a relationship with them? Have you been in social circles where people are going around and they're just telling stories about what they've done or who they know? And it's like people are just trying to one-up each other all the time. It's like, I got a better story or I know someone cooler than you know. Sometimes if I'm just being honest, I'm tempted to just wait my turn. And what comes to me, tell people that Garth Brooks came to watch me graduate high school and failed to mention that his daughter was there graduating at the same time. I'm tempted man, I'm tempted to act like I know someone that I don't really know. You ever struggle with that same temptation? You ever struggle to act like you know Jesus so that your conservative friend will respect you or your moralistic boss will promote you, but in all reality, man, you've had a few casual encounters with the guy. You came to church on Easter. You went to camp as a kid. But really, you don't know him all that well. Let's just be clear this Easter morning. Jesus did not rise from the dead so that you and I, we could claim a, a certain social status in the moment to impress someone else. No, Jesus rose from the dead to afford you and I access to the Father so that we can know him better. The author of Hebrews, he writes this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. 
What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for you and I? The first thing it means is that we can know God better. Second thing it means is that we can know the hope of our eternity. Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He prays this for his people. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So I'm sure most of you have probably heard the terms extrovert and introvert. And we're going to do a little uh, evaluation here. By a show of hands, how many of you would consider yourself an extrovert? Let's see it. Okay, okay. How many of you would consider, yeah, Peyton and Emily, I know you guys are extroverts. Uh, how many would you guys consider, how many would consider yourself to be a, an introvert? An introvert? All right, God's people. That's what I'm talking about. Those are the best kind of people. No, I'm just kidding. I have no favorites, except unless you're an introvert. Um, my, so I'm an introvert, obviously. I wouldn't make those comments if I wasn't an introvert. But my dad, he's an extrovert. And when I was a kid, I had to go everywhere with my dad. And this was a problem, because when my dad would go somewhere, he would talk to every single person that he knew. Going to Walmart was the absolute most torturous thing for me as a child. I would have rather gotten spankings than have gone to Walmart. Like, that was the worst kind of punishment for me. Ever, anybody ever been to Walmart and, their, and their, their parents, like, don't stop talking? You know what I'm talking about? Kids, point at your parents, make them feel like, yeah, this is it. Yeah, you need to confess that sin, Mom. You need to confess that sin, Dad. So when I was a kid... My dad, he would take me to Walmart. We'd go there to get like five things and he would end up talking to 25 different people. He would bump into somebody. He'd be like, hey, how you doing? How's your wife? How's your kids? Then we'd see somebody across the store. My dad would make a beeline for them. He's like, hey, how you doing? How's your wife? How's your kids? He thought he heard somebody on the next aisle. And so he'd climb over the shelving. Hey, how are you? How's your wife? How's the kids? We'd see a stranger buying eggs. Doesn't even know the guy. Hey, how are you? How's that wife? How's your kids? We'd uh, finally make it to the parking lot. There's that 16-year-old kid pushing carts. He's like, hey, buddy, how are you? How's your wife? How's your kids? I'm like, he's 16. You get in the car. He look at me. Drake, how are you? How's your wife? How's your kids? I'm seven, Dad. What are you? The worst part, though, was we would finally get home, and I would just do like my, my Mel Gibson, William Wallace, freedom. Like, I was so glad to be done with that whole experience. And I'd hear my dad running up the stairs. He'd open my door and say, hey, I forgot the milk. We got to go back. Man, I don't know how many times I've sat on Walmart's floor saying, this is so boring. And I'm surprised at the number of people that I talk to who are living a spiritually boring life. It's almost like they now have no hope for the present, no hope for anything better. All their life consists of is the nine to five binge watching Netflix and youth sports on the weekends. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that, if that's all your hope is, that's all you have to look forward to, man, then there is something wrong. Because I've already told you that what you need is what you have. If you have the resurrected Jesus, you have a hope greater than anything that this world could offer you. So I don't know. You ever found yourself th thinking, so mundane. Man, this is so boring. Man, you have the hope of eternity because you have the resurrected Jesus. Jesus isn't the first person in Scripture to rise from the dead. Another person who rose from, from the dead is a man named Lazarus. Lazarus and Jesus were good buddies. They were friends. Lazarus had died, and he had been dead for four days. Now, if you know uh, anything about the Jewish culture, you know that being dead four days was bad because after four days, there was no chance that you would be resurrected from the dead. Three, two, one, you could have been resurrected from the dead, but after four days, you were basically as dead as a doornail. And this was the state of which Lazarus was in. 
Jesus finally appears after Lazarus has been dead for four days. He shows up to the tomb and he's talking to Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the conversation that Jesus has with Martha. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I mean, you're the son of God and all. And Jesus looked at her and he said, your brother will rise again. And I kind of envisioned Martha shrugging it off. Martha answered, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus surprises her. Jesus said to her, catch this tense, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Elsewhere in scripture, Paul writes in, first, uh, in Colossians 1 verse 17, he says, you have the risen Christ indwelling within you. Let's not glance over that. You have the risen Christ indwelling within you. If this is true, then you have Jesus, the resurrection and life living in you. You have a hope for eternity that, far, that goes far beyond the temporal world that we live in right now. Jesus is your hope. So let me echo this prayer that Paul prays on your behalf. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Man, if you find yourself sitting on the floor, man, this is so boring, so mundane. Is there anything better? I want to encourage you to cast your gaze towards heaven. Many of us we're just looking at the tomb. Remember the ladies? I loved Claire DeFazio's voice reading of that. Man, you look at narration, I would put Claire DeFazio up against Morgan Freeman any day. That was a beautiful little reading of Scripture. I love one of the lines there in the storybook Bible. It says, this is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. Man, your current temporal earthly life, your flesh, your sin, that's for dead people. Cast your gaze towards heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And the more that you look at Jesus, the more you will look like Jesus. Jesus Christ, risen and indwelling within you, is your hope for eternity. But I get it. Sometimes it's hard to live in that hope when there's so many obstacles in the present. And that's why I'm excited to remind you that the third thing that the resurrection means for us is that we get to know the resurrection power. We get to know the power of the resurrection. Paul continues in his prayer. This is what he prays. And his incomparably great power for us to believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The Bible scholar F.F. Bruce said this, if the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of God's love, then the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of God's power. Of God's power. I mean, Jesus has afforded you a resurrection-type power. 
So this is the Student Ministry Center North. And on Wednesday nights, this is where we have our high school worship service and our high school small groups. A few Wednesdays ago, I was sitting with a couple of junior girls, and one of them asked me, she just casually asked me, so like, like what's up with Revelation? And I said, are you talking about the last book in the Bible? She's like, yeah, Revelation. All, all it seems to be about is like horns and scrolls and animals. So what's up with Revelation? And for a high school student, that's not a bad description of Revelation because there's a lot of horns and scrolls and animals in Revelation. But you and I know that Revelation is more than just horns and scrolls and animals. No, Revelation is about a baby from the time that he was born who sent the enemy into attack mode. Revelation is about a lamb who was slain for the sins of his people. Revelation is about a lion who distributes power and demonstrates power on behalf of his people. Revelation is about a king who is making everything right again. He's making everything right again. And Revelation tells us this. John's vision of heaven, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I've been talking a lot about power and how Jesus offers us the power that overcomes, resurrection-type power. With all this talk about power, I guess it begs the question, what about cancer? What about human trafficking? What about infidelity and divorce? And what about my rebellious children? What about that tornado that hit our town? What about, I mean, we could fill in the blank all day long. I admit, and I will not ignore, that there are people in this room and people all over campus this morning who are going through pain and suffering. Pain and suffering? It's a common language of humanity. We've all experienced in various ways and in various levels. So why? Why, when the watching world thinks it's so absurd, why would Mark, Michael, and I stand up on stages this morning and declare to you, the people of God, that Jesus offers us a power that overcomes? Well, for me, I think it's because Jesus thus far has done everything he said he would do, and I don't think he's done yet. We just read it. Man, one day, Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna rescue us, and everything will be made right again. Cancer will bow at the name of Jesus. The evil that is human trafficking will bow at the name of Jesus. Your husband, your wife, your kids, they will bow at the name of Jesus. Don't nudge them too hard right now, because one day you're also gonna bow at the name of Jesus. We all will. Everything in all of creation will bow at the name of Jesus. Do you know what, do you know what God's been worried about lately? Absolutely nothing. God has so much confidence. God has the confidence of a seventh grade boy who just sprayed ax all over himself. The most confidence anyone can have. You know where Jesus is right now? 
Man, Jesus is sitting on his throne and the earth is his ottoman. But don't let that image fool you into thinking that Jesus is pompous or arrogant because he's not. This is the same Jesus who left his throne in heaven to occupy a tomb on earth. And now that the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied, Jesus offers you resurrection type power. Catch on to the refrain, what you need is what you have. We have a resurrected Jesus. And you can know God better. You can live right now in the hope of your eternity. And you can experience resurrection power, that power that overcomes. Jesus follower, that's for you. What does the resurrection mean? And you can know God better. Live in the hope of your eternity and live in the power of the resurrection. But there are some people maybe in this room who are not followers of Jesus. And I want to encourage you today, put your faith in him. If you'd like to talk, I would love to talk to you. Dana, one of our pastors in the back, she would love to talk to you about how you can put your faith in Jesus and follow him. You guys saw the, the video of Emma. She got baptized. She said, I want to give my all to Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And I don't know what Emily's doing over there with the fifth through eighth grade girls, but there's like six of them who are trying to get baptized right now. We don't have enough water in the baptistry for all those girls who are trying to get baptized. So if you want to join them, let me encourage you. Today, make that decision. Tell Dana, Dana, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow this resurrected Jesus. And for those of you who have been following Jesus, I don't know if something's going on in your life. Maybe you're, maybe you're struggling against one of those obstacles I mentioned. Maybe you're struggling against an obstacle I didn't mention. Dana would love to pray with you. And can I encourage you to ask Dana to pray for you? I'm gonna end my time up here with a prayer. It's the prayer that Paul prayed, the prayer I've been preaching. So let me pray it over you. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What you need is what you have. And you have the resurrected Jesus. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.